This Bible study is entitled The Wonder of Christ. Part of the Revelation of Jesus series. A study of Revelation chapter 1. Well, I'm going to just read the first three verses of Revelation. I hope we can get through uh, these three verses this evening. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, as I'm sure you must know, the word revelation is apocalypsis, and it means to uncover something that has been concealed. Uh, in a Christian setting, it has to do with supernatural revelation of divine truths unknown to men and by men. And I'm looked, thinking, the reason I pause, I'm thinking of two verses, Romans 16, 18 and Galatians 1, 12. And I'll, then there's, if, for follow-up, uh, I'll give you some more. And it's important if you have a pencil and paper to write these down and you trace them through for yourselves. Uh, we were always taught the truths we learn ourselves, the truths we grasp the, the better. In the New Testament, there is revealed the entire good news of God's redemption plan in Christ and its consummation in future events and current events. These are revealed to God's people supernaturally. And there's Romans 8, 18, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, 1 Peter 1, 13, and chapter 5, verse 1. All of these talk about the truth being revealed supernaturally. And this is the book. This is the unveiling. So obviously it's something that God wants all his children to know. That's why I'm always puzzled with people who bypass it or don't seek to grasp its truth. Now, it starts off, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the standing, and the normal standing translation of that is that Christ is not the object, uh, but he is the agent by which the subject came. But I look back and... Some of us had just finished a series on John 17. And in John 17, it talks about Jesus in his, that prayer, prays 
that he might have the glory he had with the Father before time begins. He also pray, prays uh, in John 17 that we might behold that glory. And so I have uh, my own opinion. I think it's I think it's not only a revelation by him, but it's a revealing of him in a totally different way to his, his physical revelation when he came as a human being, born in Bethlehem, grew up, died on that cross for our sins, buried, raised again, ascended into heaven. Uh, here we see him in that glory that he shared with the Father. You'll see it time and time again as we study through this book. Sometimes I think we just lose sight of a bit of this great truth. Uh, I picked up a little uh, something I will share with you. The ultimate source of all revelation is God the Father. The ultimate agent of revealing is God the Son, and the instructor or interpreter of its truth is God the Holy Spirit. Well, there are, it, ha, it sounds good, there are things we might uh, look at in a different light. But the receiver of all God's revelation is the humble servant of God. This was not written in a vacuum. It was written with a purpose. And that purpose is that we who are the children of God will know in whom we have believed and will be convinced that he is able to keep that which we've committed against that day because he is in that glorious place even today. Now, that day will only come when it's the right time. I sometimes uh, wind congregations up and ask them if they want to know when Jesus is coming again. I tell them I can give them the exact day and hour if they're interested. And of course, uh, you can see a puzzled look. But the thing is, God has a plan. And the return of Christ will be on the exact day and hour that God has planned. And I say this because one of the things that disturbed me over a number of years is that uh, people would go around and say, if only we were more evangelistic and we were getting more people saved, we could bring forward the coming of Christ. Now, I've been an evangelist uh, full-time since 1975. And I want to tell you something. It won't make the slightest bit of difference. I would urge you to be evangelistic. I'll be urge you on the importance of sharing the truth of the gospel, but how committed we are to it and the fruit won't make any difference to God's timetable. He will only come on that special day. 
that God has set in his diary, but not ours. We need always to remember that. And uh, I hope you won't forget, a man called J.E., and I think it's pronounced Seiss, it's S-E-I-S-S, he remarks, it's not mere prediction of divine judgment upon the wicked, and the final triumph of the righteous made known by Christ, but a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's in his own person, his officers and future administration. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ means Jesus Christ is revealed and uncovered to mortal view. And I quote that man at that point because it's what I was trying to say just a moment or two ago. I tend to look at it from both points of view. And uh, if you look at it at the former point of view, Note again what it says. Uh, he said he, com- he communicated to his servant by means of an angel. So he, although he is the source of the revelation, he's not the uh, actual revealer. And I believe, as I say, I think it's it, there's a bit of both there that are beneficial to us. In a week or two, we'll be looking at the last part of chapter 1 and we'll be seeing a glorious picture uh, of Christ. Uh, When you go into chapter 4 and chapter 5, you see Christ coming into the throne room of God and taking up the reins. You will see how he is right central all the way through the book. And that's good for us to remember uh, I was in a church and the subject was the Holy Spirit uh, but it was the uh, there were actually a, it was a glorification of the Holy Spirit nobody mentioned the task of the Spirit and the task of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ, you find that again in John's Gospel we need to understand that these things are for us today. Uh, I once heard a man, uh, if you'll excuse this illustration, I once heard a man uh, talking on the Gospel of Matthew. And he went through from chapter 1 to chapter 28. And by the time he finished, I thought, oh, well, I might as well tear Matthew out of my Bible. Uh, he, For example, his take on Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that was truth for the millennial reign. Well, I think all everything is there for our benefit. That's what the Word of God says. All Scripture is inspired. Therefore, all Scripture is beneficial to us. What we need to just do is come before the Lord with a heart that is prepared to listen. Uh, and it's difficult, for, and I understand it is difficult at times. It, to dig in often means lots of time spent. Uh, there were times I would always feel sorry for my wife, and I think she's probably uh, pleased to be in the glory now. Uh, she wouldn't see me from 9 o'clock in the morning till midnight. 
If I wasn't now preaching, I'd be in study, doing researching and pre preparation because we need to know. I have, a, I have a gift. It isn't for my benefit. It isn't for my glory. It is for to serve the children of God by opening up the word of God and also opening it up for, so that non-Christians can hear the gospel and believe. But please, please note, and I stress this over and over again, and I may well stress it a little later as well, it is to the believer. And if you read Paul's writings to the Corinth, he tells them, these things are spiritually discerned. They're not of the flesh. It is the spirit that reveals them. And if we are prepared to be open and spend the time, the Holy Spirit will open it up to us and make it real. Make it real. And that makes a big difference. It's not just that we know it, but that we experience it and live in it. Now, I don't say I've got all the answers, but I believe enough to be able to get your thinking and praying and studying for yourselves. That's the whole point of me taking these studies in the book of Revelation. Uh, but I, it may take us a couple of years to get through it, uh, but I'm not like uh, some of the old brethren that we used to know. They would spend months and months and months uh, in looking at the tabernacle. There weren't churches, Bible studies. There were five years in the book of Romans and never got to the end. We'll seek to push it on so we get through it reasonably quickly. Now, again, some of the things here are not always easy to grasp. And there's that statement, the things which must soon take place, or the unauthorized puts it this way, things which must shortly come to pass. This to us is a difficult passage. Does it mean that the, the thought, the writers thought that it would happen very soon? Or was it said in ignorance of the situation? No. Uh, what we often forget is prophecy. Uh, no Old Testament prophecy was just two-dimensional, height and breadth. It had a depth too. Five times in this book it is called a prophecy. Uh, 1 3, 22 3, 22 10, 22 18, and 22 19. It is a prophecy. And prophecy, not as I say, all was, has a depth to it. What is soon to God is not soon to us, in, in uh, all honesty. But what I would say is that there's often a present uh, day application 
and yet a future application that is timeless, like a telescope. When you look through a telescope, through the little end, you push it out, the object gets nearer. And that's prophecy. And the reason behind these things like that is that every generation would be prepared so that every and each and every generation would look and live in the hopeless fulfillment in their lifetime. I, I, I get accused of repeating myself, but sometimes it's good to get them fixed in our minds. I can remember us as a group of young people, we were discussing the return of the Lord. Uh, now in England, the retiring age was 65 in those days. And not one of us thought we'd be around to retire. Well, some of us have now got the glory. Uh, some of us have passed that retiring age, and we're still here. We cannot outguess God. But what we have to do is we've got to live in that expectancy. And that's why we have such passages as things which must shortly come to pass. Mark 13.35 Watch ye, for ye know not the hour when the master of the house cometh. We don't. We, but we need to be awake and alert. The watchword is be prepared. Now I, I will say something on a side issue here. Uh, praying, praying, the importance of praying. <laughs> and I always reminded of that watch and pray. Uh, we went out to a church, a, a group of uh, students. Uh, I was the preacher for, uh, we were involved in five services on that Sunday. And God blessed us so abundantly. Traveling back, we were rejoicing. And uh, a chap sitting in the back of my car tapped me on the shoulder and said, Gordon, that's the third red traffic light you've gone through. Enjoy the things, pray, but watch and pray. Be alert. Who knows? It might just be that these things will happen. And I'm one of those people who are really convinced that we're living in the last days. Things are happening, and it's not just that they're happening. It is the speed of them happening, the intensity of it. And I am convinced that the Lord is coming soon. As a matter of fact, we would, I was just singing to myself uh, yesterday, I think it was, soon and very soon I'm going to see the King. That was an old chorus we used to know uh, from our young people's days. Now, let's move on. As I, I want to try, as I say, get on a little bit. Uh, the God gave to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it. Who and this bond servant John, who testified of the word of God. Now, I'm convinced that most of you would be very familiar with John's usage of the Logos in John's Gospel, chapter 1, 
verses 1, 2, and 3. And that's the word that is used here for the word. And John bare testimony to the locusts and all that was implied by that word. Uh, and in that word, there's far more than just a, 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 a simple English or American or any other kind of a word. Behind it is the idea of the thoughts that led to that word. It, it is a dynamic entity. And he was, he was the living expression of all that God is. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning God spoke and it was done. God's word goes out and it accomplishes his purpose. And it's this logos, this full expression of the mind of God. And I'm convinced that when he, that John bare testimony, it was revealed to him, this great truth. And it is a mighty truth. I do pause sometimes just to emphasize something of the greatness of the word. Some years ago, I had the privilege of going down to a church in another part of the country to where I live today. And I was given a agreed to do a nine-month training the church in evangelism. And uh, the first thing I did was, before they ever went out on the door, I gave them some lot, uh, lessons on what to share. And I said, one of the things, if you get stuck, give your testimony. They might argue against the Bible, but they cannot argue against the testimony. Testimonies are very, very important. As young Christians, we were encouraged publicly to give our testimonies in churches, in the open air, because whatever else, the testimony is truth, a living expression of the truth. The revelation is a word from God which is witnessed to us by Christ and by the servant of God bearing testimony. And when we stand up and we proclaim the word of God anywhere, that's what we are doing. We are bearing testimony to the truth of the word of God. And that's important because people will listen to a testimony whereas they might not listen to the sermon. Let me move on. I will come back to some things in a bit if, if time permits. Uh, to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now you remember John, don't you? He was the one who leaned on the bosom of Jesus. He was one of the inner circle. 
He was the one of those who witnessed, for example, the on the Mount of Transfiguration, the wonderful picture of Moses and Elijah and the Lord. Uh, so he was intimate, so he could bear testimony. The testimony is telling the truth. I don't know if you, any of you have ever served on a jury in a court. Uh, I've had the privilege to doing that. Uh, I, I must admit the... It was uh, such a sh it opened my eyes. I wouldn't volunteer uh, to give testimony. Uh, the tear the shred if you're not careful. But here we have something that is a sure testimony. It isn't our opinion. We are bearing witness to the fact that this is what God has revealed. God has revealed it. We either accept it or we reject it. And that's how we should. The gospel should be presented in some ways. Some ways would tend to be a bit reticent. And it is, in a sense, the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ himself that is being shown here. We would be looking at a chap called George Eldon Ladd. I think he's an American author. He stated this, The revelation is a word from God which is witnessed to by Christ, and we may add, presented by the angel of verse 1 and recorded by John in verse 2. So here we have this tremendous uh, picture. And I hope you're grasping it. Now, from your homework, blessed and I'm going to go through all of them so you can get a chest, check your own homework here. Uh, I hope you know your Greek. If not, I'll just give you enlightening. It's a Greek word which is makarios. Now, you'll find it's the same word in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, etc., etc. Uh, and we have tended to uh, translate that as happy. But I, I just, it used to puzzle me, happy are those that mourn. Well, in a sense, I understand that. I was happy my wife was uh, uh, promoted to glory, as the Salvation Army would put it. But I was mourning at the same time. But I did some research a little while ago on this Greek word, and it has another meaning. And I want you to be patient here. It can mean prosperous. There is in the antiquities a, a, a letter written to a young man by his father, who the young man was away over on a, a away from home on a business trip, and he wished him Macarius prosperous journey. Uh, now. This is not to do with the modern-day prosperity movement. That's if you give God a pound, you get ten back. Remember something Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's true prosperity. That's the prosperity is in mind. Spiritually prosperous, if you like, are those who mourn for their sins. And that is... A to me, and you can disagree with me if you like, we can talk about it later, 
it is more true to the emphasis of Scripture that we prosper or fruitful in the spiritual realm. And so this word occurs, and it occurs seven times. Your homework was to find them, and we're going to go through them now. Uh, of course, the first one, and it's worth remembering that when the church came into being, it took over some of the practices of the synagogue, because in the early days they were nearly all Jews, and they were in synagogues. And one of the things in the synagogues was a, a reading, public reading of the scriptures. And so here we have this. Uh, blessed is he who reads. There is a, a rich reward, if you like, to the person who reads this word publicly. This book publicly. It is a blessing and fruitful in our spiritual lives and characters to read this publicly. That means out loud, uh, which is not always easy. But it goes on to say that not only uh, though he that reads, but he who sits and hears it. Uh, no, not like sometimes how we do it sometimes when we uh, fall a sleep when the preacher's up uh, when that happens you, you better to take the text awake though that sleepest but it's a blessing to sit it's spiritually fruitful for us as Christians not only to, read, to hear it to read it but to hear it most of us I think would switch off with some of the things there and then Heed one translation or another obeys it. It's one thing to read it, another thing to hear it. But the crux of the greatest rich blessing is to be obedient to it. That's the first one. The second one is in Revelation 14 and verse 13. And it, it is, behold, uh, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours and the, their works follow them. And the idea behind the word labour is a, what we would term a hard slog, almost slavery, involving weariness and perhaps even sorrow. But it is spiritually prosperous if we've spent our lives in hard labor for the master. It's, and it's those who are dead because their reward comes after. Uh, there's lots of stories about uh, children asking, being asked, if you're rich, would that guarantee you're in heaven? If you're a preacher, would that... When it boiled down to you say, no, you have to be dead. Well, at the moment you do, but one day when Jesus comes, there'll be some who won't pass through death. But in the meantime, those who are spiritually prosperous, who are fruitfully, are the dead in Christ. They bear rich 
experiences that we which will be alive when he when Jesus comes will never experience never experience so prosperity is spiritual and fruitfulness third one is 1615 behold I come as a thief blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame uh, if you like it's keeping his uh, light shining bright watching on the alert so that we are not caught out remember the story of the uh, virgins five wise five foolish all got the invitation all fell asleep but some had come prepared they had the oil in the lamp we need to there is real blessing spiritual rewards for watching and being alert in other words uh, you know i don't know different countries have different phrases but uh, what we often say when the cat's away the mice will play well this has to do with being persistent whether the cat's around or appears to be around or not in other words it's persevering in our service and keeping ourselves right these things are there to help us to keep everything right then the next one 19.9 Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, that will be a feast that will defy the description of the word feast in our country or in our world today. It will be a feast that is sumptuous and magnificent. And uh, we have a little problem because it's a bridal feast and we are both the bride and the guests but they just express two different aspects of this great truth that when we are promoted to glory there is that rich blessing because we're on the way to the marriage feast the supper of the lamb and what is of the lamb uh, again and again we find that as well I think it's referred to 28 times the truth of the Lamb of God. Then Revelation 20, verse 6 Blessed and holy is he who hath part in the first resurrection. On him the second death has no power. But there shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him. For a thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. Spiritual prosperity comes to those of us who take part in the first resurrection. And if you know, uh, resurrection to me is when we rise from the dead, never to die again. The first resurrection, in one sense, was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was raised. He was the first fruits of those who would take part in the first re resurrection. When the 
those who are the Lord's will be caught up to be with him. The second death will not be a threat to us because that has to do with the judgment of the ungodly. Those of us who love him are truly prosperous and will reap the richness of that at that first resurrection when the dead in Christ will rise up and this, those who are alive will meet them in the air and so will be forever with the Lord. To me, what better thing could be to be in his presence forevermore? And if you want to know what it means, it means that in that day we shall be like him. As we gaze on his face, we shall be like him. Revelation 22.7 It is quite an interesting one because he emphasizes for the second time. Now, as, as Christians, if God says it once, it ought to be enough. But sometimes he mentions things for emphasis more than once. Not so that we will not forget to do them. And in Revelation 22, 7, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy. One of the reasons I said for reading it is it's full of Bible truths and prophecies that we need to be take to ourselves. And the last one is Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates, into the city, through the gates into the city. Our final dwelling place, the city of God. And that means our richness, our bank account will have reached its highest level, if you like. Because how blessed would it be to be there. Now let me just make one comment on commandments and keeping them. The Jews made a religion out of keeping the commandments. God gave them ten. At the time of Christ, the Pharisees had increased that to 613. You can't make a religion out of the commandments. You have to have a motive. And Jesus in John 14, 15 gives us that moment, uh, the momentum to do so, that incentive. If ye love me, keep my commandments. We come across that or keeping the commandments of God three times, I think, in those seven verses. And it's more, love is the motivation for doing it. Not God standing over us with a whip, not us being bullied, not us being harangued from the pulpit, but because we love him, we seek to keep his commandments. One of the great commandments is Matthew 28, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and so forth.
And yet, there are many churches that don't do it. Something's missing. Any who do not keep these may or may not be his disciples. If they claim to be disciples, they should have sufficient love to keep his commandments. Now, just a little bit more. For in it, what is written in this book for the time, and it is, uh, and we'll see a little bit about that uh, when we get to chapters 2 and chapters 3. So there's all these blessings to read, hear, and obey, uh, not merely for the past or the future, but today. Now I'm going to quote another man uh, here. Uh, you probably have not heard of this one. The others you might have done. It's a man called G.R. Crow. He wrote a commentary on Revelation uh, and it was published in India. The blessing is pronounced on those who read to obey and hear to obey on the humble servant of God. Revelation was given for a blessing for those who will obediently, believingly read it, not for those whose aim is mere knowledge. It has to be a studying to know, to hear, and to practice. We need that. We need that. Now, there is much more we could have said on this section, but I do want just to leave you uh, with a little time to comment and ask questions. But remember, blessed, spiritually prosperous, Fruitful, if you want, enriched in the bank of heaven are those who hear, read, hear, and obey the word of the Lord. I've just found a little note. Seven is used 54 times. I said, I said it was about 50. Uh, and I've, as I say, I've got into the, just into the 30s, but I'm still working on it. But there's so much in this, and I want to take me time so that you grasp uh, something of its fullness, something of the meaning of it. Uh, we gloss over that word blessed. Uh, superficially, I think, when the translated happy, it has such much more depth and meaning and fullness. And it's that prosperity, that fruitfulness. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches and we're supposed to bear fruit on as branches. He has chosen us and appointed us to go forth and bring forth fruit. And when we do it, we're blessed because we are doing what we should. 
Well, may this challenge you a little bit, may it encourage you a little bit to get into this book a bit more because there's a rich blessing just to read it. That was Gordon Stoves on behalf of Gospel Outreach International. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. And if you'd like to join us for other online Bible studies, then you can find more details at goi.org.uk. You are welcome to share this Bible study with others, but please don't modify it without express permission.